genre. Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep and boldly goes into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez. Today we are continuing our mini-series on the Star Trek franchise with the reboot sequel that started an alternate timeline. It's 2009's Star Trek. And we have a guest joining us to talk about time-traveling Romulan terrorists, Kirk, son of Thor, and the Beastie Boys is film critic Tyler Harlow. Welcome, Tyler. Hey guys, glad that I uh, was finally able to join you on one of these. Yeah, we've been this this uh, particular mini series has been in the works for uh, over a year at this point. So, and Tyler was like one of the first people to sign on for for this this uh, for the Star Trek franchise. So, um, we, he's just been patiently waiting for <laughs> us to finally get to this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you uh, so much for for joining us and. Um, what what is it uh what what is your connection to the Star Trek franchise sort of like as a whole um not necessarily this one yet but just as a whole Mine is interesting because I actually didn't start out a s- traditional fan of Star Trek I didn't you know grow up watching the show I wasn't introduced to the show I was actually introduced to Star Wars first by my dad but he was such a sci-fi nerd growing up that he kind of taught me that there was no difference between star Wars and star Trek other than mm-hmm. maybe the fandoms. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, he, he took me to a star Trek movie. My, my first star Trek movie actually growing up was uh first contact. Uh, that was my mm-hmm. first introduction and it was, uh, mainly due from my dad's love of sci-fi and he, he had watched the star Treks and I've, you know, since gone back and watched a lot of the movies and taken in some of the TV show. But I, I, uh, I don't know. It just seemed like such a, a fun world full of uh, a lot more creative opportunities than what, you know, some of what Star Wars was able to, to bring. And I enjoyed kind of like the more open storytelling with all, with all the different worlds and characters and backstories. And uh, it was just a lot of fun. And and so uh, when this movie was coming out, um, what were your thoughts as it was, you know, in development and and getting marketed and stuff? And then and then um, when you finally got to see this thing, uh, what were your thoughts? So I had uh, I, I was a big J.J. Abrams fan, um, his, his movies. And um, I think his Mission Impossible was before this, too. Right. If I, If I'm remembering correctly. Yes, this was this is his set uh, his sophomore effort. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I I I really enjoyed what he brought to the 
to that Mission Impossible franchise. I I liked his movies. I'd liked uh, I was a big fan of Lost. So uh, you know, I, I very much knew J.J. Abrams' name, and I like that I really didn't know a lot of the cast. Ironically, uh, the cast member that I knew the most about was Zachary Quinto because of Heroes. Mm-hmm. So he was the most recognize, oddly enough, the most recognizable person for me out of out of the cast, and uh, mm-hmm. you know that 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 alone kind of had me interested, and I was interested to see um, kind of what a reboot, kind of starting over the char- with the characters from my generation would be. I re- I remembered really liking it when it first came out, and mm-hmm. I hadn't watched it for a long time. I actually forgot that I owned it. Going back, I honestly think that it holds up really, really well. Other than, um, you know, some some of Kirk's um, flirtations early on in the movie, some of that doesn't necessarily uh, <laughs> look great now. There's definitely a couple of male gazy things in this movie that I'm like, Ugh, really, JJ? <laughs> I don't know, but it, it's um, worse than the second one, know. I think. But definitely, definitely. But uh, other than that, this movie kind of slaps. yeah um uh, nick uh i know this was a this was a big one for you right this was a big one for me we were we were still uh we were friends at this point and Mm so i think you remember like our shared reaction like over the internet when this movie came out but Mm -hmm. yeah this is actually um a, a really big like movie for me in general, just as like a, a movie fan, I think I was like at the right age when this movie came out. I was in high school, and for a long time, even still, admitting that this is one of my favorite movies and one of my favorite blockbusters, and like a movie that kind of reminded me why I love movies. It's kind of like if you're a music nerd, admitting that your favorite band is like the Foo Fighters. Uh huh. Sure. <laughs> or like. Or like Phil Collins. So, maybe. Sorry, sorry, Tofty. I know that I know that the Foo Fighters is your favorite band. <laughs> well, like, yeah, Past you know, guest. yeah. They're like technically, objectively, you know, like Foo Fighters are great, you know, but, right? But yeah, or maybe it's like Imagine Dragons. I don't know, but I just remember for a long time, I like kind of because this movie got. I was like fully an, a movie nerd, like an online movie nerd when this movie came out. Mm-hmm. So I remember, like, there was a big. And still, you know, like very like uh, um, I, I especially now with much more Trek that I've watched, I, I sympathize with this mindset. But, you know, this movie had a lot of detractors. Yeah. And J.J. Abrams still has a lot of detractors. And so it's like but every time I revisit this movie, I'm just like, oh, my God, this is like everything I love about <laughs> like going to the movies. Yeah. Yeah. I was managing a GameStop uh, at this t- at this time. Um, and this opened my birthday weekend and I saw it that weekend, like three times. Uh, I saw it at like the midnight screening cause they were still doing midnight screenings, uh, in 2009. Um, and, uh, and then saw it on my birthday, like, uh, on that Saturday. And then I think I saw it again on Sunday because I just couldn't stop thinking about it. Cause I just love this movie so much. I think I ultimately saw this movie like six times in theaters cause I just, I mean, it's just such a ride and it's an easy movie to rewatch 
because it doesn't take its time with anything like ever like it's just it hits the ground running and never stops you know like it's one of those movies where every scene is like two minutes in and out you know um and it's uh it, it makes it a really easy watch but uh yeah i loved i love this movie and and um i, I still do I think there are certain things, uh, certain criticisms of this movie that I completely understand and I just sort of roll with when I'm watching it. Um, one of the big ones is what the hell was Nero doing for 25 years? Um, and you know what? Totally understand that criticism. There's a deleted scene that I'm so glad they cut where he gets kidnapped by uh, Klingons and he's in a Klingon like detention camp for 25 years and that's where he is and then just happens to break out when he figures out that like oh spock is going to come through the thing so i need to i need to be free now and i'm like so you just like willingly stayed in prison for 25 years like what um yeah so it was i'm glad they cut that out that was stupid but it's also stupid that he was just waiting around for 25 years not doing anything um but so like i understand that but i also just sort of like well but it's he's a cool villain. I don't know. Like he's, he's a cool <laughs> villain. And I, and I like the time travel plot and all of that, but I, I do understand some of the criticisms that this movie has. Um, uh, there's, there's other ones that I understand less, like, uh, just the fact that like people say that this is more of a star Wars movie than a star Trek movie. And I just don't buy that fundamentally. Um, cause it's not, it's not a fantasy movie. There's no fantasy aspect to this, uh, whatsoever. And without a fantasy aspect, it's not Star Wars to me. I don't know. And I I mean you guys can correct me. I I cannot and I looked for for evidence to support this, but I I remember reading somewhere that the reason JJ Abrams did this movie was because he never thought that he would get to direct a Star Wars movie. So maybe that's mm-hmm. where people are kind of getting that connection from, but like oh. I I can't find an article, I can't find an interview, but I just have that weird nugget in the back of my brain like that he said that mm-hmm. somewhere. I definitely remember reading Tyler at the time, like on slash film and ain't cool and entertainment weekly and all that stuff that like, that was part of his like, yeah, I was a star Wars fan. I'm not a Trekkie. I'm coming into this as an outsider. And like, how can I make this interesting for someone like me who didn't think star Trek was cool as a kid. And I will say this is, you know, like you, Tyler, I, I hadn't, I hadn't watched a lot of the original Trek movies when I first saw this in high school, but now in the context of franchiseography, having watched quite a lot of Star Trek these past few months, um, I actually kind of did sense the like there. It is unlike any Trek movie. Mm-hmm. It, there is not even a, a an attempt to have some kind of moral or philosophical quandary. It is pure popcorn. Go go go! Very much like Mission uh, J- Mission Impossible Three, J.J. Abrams' previous movie, like. Yeah. Or Force Awakens, you know, and I think this is ultimately a J.J. Abrams movie that has like really great moments that I love as a Trek fan. But I can if you go to Star Trek to like ponder and and, and like reflect on humanity's follies and quandaries, this yeah. isn't the Trek might not be the Trek movie for you. Yeah. Or even if you go for like submarine warfare, <laughs> you know, like too. you're yeah. not going to get that here either. Um, I'm going to go to my cabin and think for an hour. Yeah. So, so I love that you guys brought up this quote that get, that gets like bandied about with JJ Abrams, because Mm. I'm going to start my development story with the fun revelation that 
every time J.J. Abrams said that to the press, it was a lie. <laughs> it was it was a marketing strategy from the go is that he was going to paint himself as someone who never watched Star Trek, therefore luring non-Trekkies into the theaters. It was all a marketing ploy. He watched Star Trek just as much as anybody else as a kid. Um, and he loves Star Trek. He didn't love it as much as Star Wars, you know, because Star Wars was cinema and that was his whole thing. But like he loved Star Trek growing up. Um, you know, he never watched Next Gen because at that point he was in college and was like, you know, selling Harrison Ford scripts and, you know, starting his starting his career as a screenwriter, which would eventually lead to him becoming a, a, a TV guy and then bad robot and et cetera, et cetera. So he never got into Next Gen. To him, Star Trek was just that original cast, those original characters, and that was like the most important thing. But he was always a fan. Um, he just never considered himself a Trekkie because he wasn't a diehard. Um, but he did love it. It was actually producer Brian Burke who was the guy who had never seen an episode of Star Trek, never watched any of the movies, didn't know anything about it. Um, and his opinions and his thoughts and the things that he would say would be what Abrams would parrot in the press in order to lure all of those non-Trekkies into the theater. Um, so yeah, it was all a lie. It was all, uh, marketing theater. <laughs> it worked. Yeah, it you're, did. You're telling me that J.J. Abrams misdirected the public? <laughs> he turned himself into a mystery box. Yeah, yeah, the ultimate... <laughs> The ultimate mystery box. Myself. Yeah, I'm the mystery box. Well, at least they didn't lie about uh, that a character wasn't a certain character like they did in the yeah, second one. Well, yeah, we'll get right. to talk about that uh, <laughs> on next week's episode. But um, the development of this uh, of this film uh, begins with, of course, the film we talked about last week, which is 2002's Star Trek Nemesis and the abject failure, both critically and commercially of Star Trek Nemesis. Um, the failure of that and then the subsequent cancellation of Enterprise meant that for the first time since, since, well, since 1979, there was no Star Trek franchise. It just didn't exist. It was dead. Um, and as a result of this, uh, we had um, Rick Berman... And, uh, yeah, Rick Berman, the, the sort of, uh, captain of the, of the Star Trek ship for so long of this, of this franchise, um, joined forces with a screenwriter named Eric Jenderson. Um, and, uh, they developed a new film called Star Trek The Beginning, which was going to be a sequel to Star Trek Enterprise, um, and, and start the new, uh, a new franchise starting with, uh, the character of Tiberius Kirk, um, that was going to be the lead of the show, um, and uh, and that or the the lead of the movie, and then they were going to go go with that. Um, so they actually they developed the script, they wrote the script together, and then they turned it into Paramount. And Paramount was like, "What the hell is this, Tiberius? No, we're not doing this. Uh, absolutely zero interest." And also, um, Rick, uh, buddy, I think you've. Uh, You've run this ship as far as you can, and uh, I think it's time to bid you adieu. And uh, and with that, uh, Rick Berman's uh, 
his connection to the Star Trek franchise was severed, and and that was that for him. Um, after after you know Nemesis and 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 Enterprise, I think that Paramount was just like I, you don't got the juice anymore, man. It's it's over, um, and so he was done. At this same around the same time in two thousand five, uh, we had um this situation with Viacom. Uh, which owned Paramount Pictures and the CBS Corporation, decided to sever the two entities so that the CBS Corporation and Paramount were two completely different wings of the Viacom brand, um, and they had nothing to do with each other. And with CBS, uh, they took all of their television properties. Um, so, you know, they would uh, Paramount would have to start licensing the movies that they were doing based off of uh, the the CBS television properties from CBS that included Mission Impossible, which they would do for Mission Impossible three, and then um, Star Trek, and uh, at the time, um, notorious uh, notorious good guy Leslie Moonves <laughs> um, <laughs> was uh, running CBS, and um, Gail uh, Berman, uh, no relation. Um, to uh to to previous Berman Rick Berman um was uh, president of Paramount and wanted to make a new Star Trek movie um and wanted to like reboot the franchise from the beginning go back to the to the uh the core group um the core crew from the original series um but make them younger and went to Leslie Moonves and said hey can we have Star Trek uh we want to make a movie and Leslie Moonves was basically like, yeah, I'm not going to do anything with Star Trek. Like what? Like, I'm not I'm not going to put Star Trek on CBS. I'm not going to put, on the, you know, syndicated series aren't really a thing anymore. There's just no there's no place for Star Trek in the current landscape. So by all means, do whatever you want with it. So she takes that and she goes over to the biggest nerds that she's ever met. Um, and those were, of course, uh, Roberto Orsi and Alex Kurtzman, um, and, uh, was like, Hey, you guys just wrote a really great Mission Impossible script. Do you guys know anything about Star Trek? And at the same, simultaneously, Kurtzman and Orsi, Kurtzman said no. And Orsi said yes. (laughs) Um, and, uh, that's because Kurtzman, um, didn't really grow up with Star Trek. He knew of Star Trek. He watched some Star Trek when he was a kid, but he didn't really consider himself like a fan quote unquote, which is really unfortunate when you consider the fact that he is now the new Rick Berman, um, and, and the, the sort of like captain of the Star Trek ship and really explains a lot about the problems that people, that a lot of longtime Trekkies have with shows like Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard. Um, but that's neither here nor there, but, uh, uh <laughs> that is, um, uh, so, so Orsi and Kurtzman, they agreed to like start developing an idea because the mixture of somebody who was like, no, I don't really know much about Star Trek and somebody who considers himself a lifelong Trekkie, um, was a sort of juicy combination that Gail Ber- Berman was, um, very interested in. So they start developing the script, uh, once Mission Impossible 3 wraps, um, Gail goes to J.J. Abrams and says, hey, would you mind producing this? Like, let's have Brad Robot involved in this Star Trek movie. And uh, and Abrams is like, yeah, sure, I'll help out my buddies. So the three of them all get together and they're developing this movie. And um, it's all uh, going really well. And Abrams is really liking the direction of it. 
and they start looking for directors. And Abrams um, said, man, I'm going to be really jealous of whatever director directs this script because I think this script kind of rules. Um, or at least the, the concept. It wasn't a full script yet. Uh, the concept for this really rules. Um, I can't wait to see who we end up getting a director for. And one of the directors they went out to was Steven Spielberg. And um, Steven Spielberg meets with Abrams and it's just like basically like, look, I'm I'm mildly interested in this because like this is not the kind of movie that I've made before. Um, and I, I like Star Trek when I was younger. This would be kind of cool. But here's my question for you, JJ. Why aren't you directing this? And he's like, well, because I'm not like a big Star Trek fan. Like, I, I like Star Trek, but like, you know, I'm not huge. I'm not a not huge there. Star Trek fan. Yeah. And he's just like, I think you would be an idiot to turn this down. Um, and, and if you do turn it down, then I will direct it. But I think you would be dumb. And J.J. Abrams is like, well, how do I turn down directing a movie that Steven Spielberg says that he would direct if I turn it down? I'm not going to turn this down. And so he agrees to direct it. Um, at that point, though, once he becomes director, he needs help producing this thing. So he turns to two uh, producers at Bad Robot, uh, one Brian Burke, who was a co-producer on Alias and was now producing Lost um, and... Uh, uh, lost co-creator Damon Lindelof. Um, Damon Lindelof is a producer on this movie. He is in the writer's room every day with Orsi and Kurtzman. Um, he had just as much to do with this film creatively as he does on Into Darkness. The difference with this one is that he doesn't take any screenwriting credit because he did not actually put any words to paper because he was too busy show running Lost. Um, and and really shepherding that show into its series finale, um, you know, he was he was basically he had just made the announcement of like there's three more seasons of Lost, and they're like, hey, you want to write a Star Trek movie? And he's like, God damn it, yes, but I can't. Um, <laughs> I just made a promise to Lost, <laughs> um, and uh, and so I do think it's really funny that he becomes the scapegoat for Star Trek Into Darkness and a lot of other franchises um, and the problems, quote-unquote, the problems with the sort of mystery box franchise and, the, and, and all of those sort of like late aughts franchises that Damon Lindelof played around in, like, he just becomes this Hollywood scapegoat in all of the, all of the trades and all of the, all of the blogs. Like, everybody is like, oh, Lindelof ruined another thing. And... I I think it's funny that this is the one that everyone says, well, this is the best of the Kelvin movies, but no one credits the fact that Lindelof was like there creatively from the start. It was his idea. Basically, one of the things that they couldn't crack was like, how are we going to get like, OK, we have made a movie. We, we have an idea for a movie that is going to be really great for non-Trekkies. But how do we get Trekkies involved? And it was Lindelof's idea to introduce time travel and an alternate timeline in order to make this canon with everything that had happened before, just an alternate timeline. Um, and, and so it was his idea also to bring in Leonard Nimoy um, as Spock, as the sort of perpetrator of this alternate timeline and, and, and everything, so that it would, it would sort of l allow Trekkies to like let their guard down a little bit. Um, <laughs> not have their hackles up the whole time. Um, and so the, all of that stuff was his idea. And, uh, and so I just think it's really interesting that he gets zero credit for 
any of his uh, uh, his sort of development of this film, um, but all of the credit for Into Darkness, which, as we will talk about uh, in next week's episode, most of the problems of that movie have absolutely nothing to do with Lindelof. Um, but we'll get there. He was an easy target. Uh, so, so, yeah. He was, he was. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So they, they, uh, you know, they've got Abrams on as director, and uh, they, they uh, develop this movie. Um, the whole movie hinges on getting Leonard Nimoy, though, and so they have to like go out to Leonard Nimoy's house. Leonard Nimoy had long retired from the role of Spock. The last time that he had played Spock. Uh, was in an episode, a two-part episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, um, in which uh, he is sort of betraying the Federation uh, because he is attempting to foster peace between uh, Vulcan, the Vulcans and the Romulans, and uh, the Federation being at war with the Romulans. Um, you know, they're like, what, what the hell are you doing? Are you, are you a traitor? Et cetera, et cetera. It was a episode done for um, uh, the anniversary. I think it was the it would have been the thirtieth anniversary of Star Trek or something like that. I think something like that. It was some kind of anniversary. I don't know. Um, maybe it was the twenty fifth. Must have been the twenty fifth. But um, in any event, that was the last time he played Spock, and he vowed to never play the character ever again. So they go out to his house. Um, the three of them, Orsi, Kurtzman, and Abrams, and they're like, "Hey, so here's the deal." You are so pivotal to this movie that if you do not agree to be in it, we have to start over from scratch, from the ground up. Here is the completed script. Um, you will be pushing this movie back by a full calendar year if you do not agree to be in it. Uh, and they thought that would put pressure on Nimoy. But in fact, Nimoy was just like, I've never been told that I was the most pivotal thing in anything that I've ever been cast in. Um, he, he was like, I wasn't even pivotal to search for Spock. I was barely in it, <laughs> you know? Uh, so he was like, this is kind of cool that you guys, um, that, that like the character of Spock is so important to this story and that my version of Spock, Spock prime is, is, um, at that pivotal. And so he agrees to do it. And, uh, and they, they get the movie, um, greenlit and they start shooting this thing. And, uh, you know, we'll go into like some of the, the finer, uh, details as we, as we do the walkthrough, um, in terms of like, you know, little, little, uh, uh, little notes that I have here and there. Um, but the big thing is that the movie wraps and the goal is to have this thing out for Christmas of 2008. Um, and, uh, that was the date. And then the Paramount, um, execs all watch it and they're like, no, this is a summer blockbuster. We'll make more money in the summer. So they push it back, uh, five months to, uh, May 8th, uh, 2009. Um, and, uh, I, uh, I, I, you know, look, I love that this movie came out like around my birthday. I think that that was like it was a great birthday that year, but I will say, I think that this movie watching it now, I'm like, this feels like a movie that should have been released on Christmas Day. Like, this feels like a Christmas movie where it's like, oh, there's nothing else playing in theaters. This is, people are just going to watch this through January, you know, and it's going to make a lot more money that way. I think it would have been a bigger hit opening at Christmas. This feels like a movie you take your family out to go see over the holidays. I, I have a quandary for both of you. Yeah. Can we, can we both try? and reach back into 
the the you know the world of 2009 because i almost want to say that the december blockbuster as we know it now mm-hmm. kind of almost didn't really exist back then until in, in avatar OA. which was later yeah. that year or like tron legacy right yeah big right, year for zoe true. saldana yeah. big big year for zoe saldana i remember that being like oh like zoe saldana has become like instantly like instant geek royalty because she was like in star trek and avatar it was nuts yeah, no, but you're right, Tyler. Like, 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 I didn't realize it was that soon that the game yeah. was about to change they, that they much. They missed it by always... a few months. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, there is something December-y, kind of in the same way that Aquaman fit as a yep. December movie when it came out. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, Do you remember that teaser that came out before like Cloverfield? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, that was uh, that was a really cool teaser. The teaser that uh, Nick is referencing is one that um, uh, Abrams actually directed at the end of the Star Trek shoot, and it's a uh, welder welding the the Enterprise together while like the speech from um, uh, Kennedy um, is like sort of like going over it, and it's like we'll go into of, space. Yeah, this combination cool. of like the '60s and yeah, all of that stuff. Um, so yeah, pretty cool. Uh, pretty cool uh, teaser. Uh, the the trailer itself, the first the the first non teaser trailer for Star Trek won a bunch of trailer awards, um, and uh, and and yeah, it's uh, this movie came out. It, and won a, it was won a bunch of trailer awards in my heart too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, this this uh, this movie came out. And it was like it was a big hit. You know, it made uh, I think like three hundred eighty five uh, million dollars. Um, yeah, three hundred eighty-five on a hundred and fifty million dollar budget. You know, it was a it was a hit, uh, and you know, we it wasn't in billion dollar territory yet. But you know, uh, again, Avatar was six months away. So, um, you know what I was trying to think about this morning watching the movie because it's been a while. Is I remember very clearly after the movie, my group of like nerdy high school friends and I walked from the theater to the Chili's, and. <laughs> we're like you know sat in this booth and we were like that was so cool this time that's moment and that moment oh man that was so great and i i'm like i wonder if one of us randomly throw away did bring up like whoa jj abrams would make a good star wars movie mm-hmm. like because i think at the time that was a big part of like why we were like wow it wasn't boring or 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 slow the way we imagined star trek to be yeah yeah i think yeah. it it was pretty efficient too. I think not counting the credits, it was like under two hours. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it gets in, does its job, and gets out. Yeah, the really only non-propulsive moments I think are like those those scant couple of scenes in the ice caves with Spock, Prime, and Kirk. Which, I mean, I'm I'm sure we'll get to it. It's unfortunate that you know one of the more pivotal characters in the the movie has the kind of dullest parts, but. You know, yeah, yeah. It's like he's almost kind of the protagonist of the movie, Spock, Spock Prime, uh-huh. but all of his story is told via like flashback and like voiceover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's it, it it yeah, it's interesting. It, you know, there isn't a uh, there isn't a lot of details in terms of like the casting of this movie. Um, you know, there is the fact that, you know, Adrian Brody was in talks to play Spock for a long time Weird. until Zachary Quinto showed up 
uh, in full. He had dyed his hair, done it like Spock. Like he did, he did, he just showed up as Spock, and they were like, "Oh, okay, well, <laughs> sorry, Adrian Brody, it's got to be this guy. This is amazing." Um, uh, but oh, like shucks. every, but everyone else, like you, you, there isn't a lot of um elements of like oh this person was almost cast or this person was almost cast there's not a lot of that it's uh it's sort of um very straightforward uh you know like I, I... I haven't heard of anyone else being up for um kirk other than chris pine if i may share something though like a, a very vivid memory that i that was awoken we are rewatching this is again being a nerd online in 2008 mm-hmm. and Every couple of days on Ain't It Cool, you would hear about another perfect, holy shit casting choice that this movie had just made. Mm-hmm. Like, it started, I remember Simon Pegg was like the first person to be cast. Yeah, because he was, he was like, you know, Abrams had decided that he was like his lucky rabbit's foot. And so he was just like, hmm. yeah, you, you, you helped out Mission Impossible 3. So like, come on over here and play Scotty. Yeah. And then just like, boom, John Cho, boom, Zachary Quinto. And we, we were all like, well, Silar is going to be Spock. And now, like, like <laughs> you ask anybody under the age of, like, 20. I don't know if they know who Silar is. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, so John Cho is interesting because um, he's the only other, Sulu is the only other character that they actually had someone else in mind uh, oh. f- for, for uh, the character. Um, originally... Um, James Kyson Lee had been cast as as Sulu, um, who is from Heroes, and as as a result of there being two cast members from Heroes who were cast in this movie, Heroes was like, no, you get one, you're not getting both, and so they were like, okay, well, I guess we have to go with Spock, so Zachary Quinto, and they're like, okay, fine, you are not going to be in this movie. You're going to be on Heroes, which has like actually like taken a quality shit, um, <laughs> just totally down the toilet, uh, and uh, that's just something you're going to have to deal with, buddy. And, uh, and then as a result, they went with their second choice, which was John Cho, which he was only their second choice because he wasn't Japanese. You know, he is Korean. Um, and, uh, as, uh, like that was something that made Abrams deeply uncomfortable of casting a Korean, uh, American as a Japanese American. And, uh, he actually went to, um, <clears throat> he went and, uh, talked to, um, George Takai and Takai is the one who was like, no, it's fine. Uh, he is meant to represent all of, of Asia, not just Japan. So he can be any culture and it's fine. And so then he cast him and, I don't know. George Takai has said a lot of things that just feel like, oh, you're you're old. Like you have just an old fashioned view of things. We've moved on from the way that you think. Um, and it is more specific. It isn't like an Asian American actor that just represents all of Asia. Like that's not might have been a thing in the sixties, but not in two thousand nine and you know, maybe maybe they should have uh, let maybe heroes should have let the other guy go, <laughs> um, you know, and I like I love John Cho. Like, I, I, I love him in these movies. I think he's a lot of fun. But I do think ultimately it was a mistake casting a Korean American as a Japanese American character. And and you're right, Scott, I think it is a clear like marker of the changing of times about mm-hmm. how things are at least changing a little bit. Like, uh, you know, speaking on on Latin icons recently. Uh, the show Wednesday went out of their way to specify 
that Wednesday's father side of the family came from Mexico specifically, mm-hmm. making them like definitively Mexican. And I just remember as a, watching that and clocking like, oh, I don't know if they would have done bothered to do that like five, ten years ago. And right. like, it's just like, yeah, these interesting little gradual like changings of like George Decay versus J- a, a discomfort J- George Decay didn't have that J.J. Abrams did have as an outsider trying to honor someone else's culture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention was just that uh, Chris Pine, um, when he was cast, he basically, you know, he sent William Shatner a letter, um, and 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 Shatner like was like, "Hey, yeah, good on you, go play Kirk." Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, he wanted to embody Kirk's humor, arrogant arrogance, and decisiveness, but wanted to go out of his way to avoid Shatner's speech pattern. Um, and so as a result, rather than, um, you know, doing that, instead he incorporated elements of Tom Cruise from Top Gun and Harrison Ford from Indiana Jones into his portrayal of Kirk. And, like, hearing that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's why I love Chris Pine so much, is literally because he's, like... Yeah, he's got like a Harrison Ford, like an like a like an eighties Harrison Ford vibe to him. Um, in that like, yeah, you can throw him around a little, but it's fun in like a fun way, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. That's a perfect way to describe it. Like even even thinking about you look at like stars like Vin Diesel or The Rock, you kind of can't throw him around. Mm-mm. Or or you know, the way Chris Pine really throws himself into Kirk's like you know, physical comedy and pratfalls and, and points of the movie that we'll talk about. Like, yeah, it's fun to see this guy who's kind of a cad get like knocked down a peg every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Carl Urban grew up a Trekkie. Um, he loved the show as a kid and was trepidatious about auditioning for this. Um, but when he got the invite, he decided to sit down and watch the original series with his son and his son fell in love with it. And he was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And so he went in and, and, uh, and, and played the best goddamn bones. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's the most amazing performance. I, it's, it's transformative. I was about it's to incredible. say, God bless him for taking the role. Cause he's so good in this movie. So oh good. Oh my God. He's perfect. He's perfect. Yeah. Um, Simon Pegg, uh, that this he he was not he did not audition. He just got an email that was like, "Hey, you're playing Scotty. Good luck." And, <laughs> and Simon Pegg was like, "Well, I'm glad I'm married to a Scotswoman because otherwise." <laughs> um, so he worked with her on the accent. Um, that's uh, that's where he he uh, did most of his like Scottish accent work was with his wife, who is very Scottish um, and uh, was excited to be playing Scotty. And then uh, finally, Anton Yelchin, who is himself uh, Russian, did decide to carry on Walter Koenig's um, speech pattern or replacing V's with W's. Um, but he he did he did say that like this is not a Russian accent this is a Polish accent I don't know <laughs> why this was his choice uh, when he did this but I'm gonna keep it going because it's kind of iconic and how can I not um, but uh, R.I.P. yeah so yep and then finally Zoe Saldana um, funnily funny story about Zoe Saldana her mother is a huge Trekkie she played a Trekkie um, in uh, in the terminal. Um, 
when she was in Steven Spielberg's The Terminal. Uh, but she had never seen an episode of Star Trek. She knew nothing about Star Trek. Um, she came in this completely dry. And when she was cast as Yahora, her mother was over the moon excited and would basically call her every day to be like, what scene are you shooting? Okay, here's how you should play this because Yahora is like this. Like she was a total nerd the entire time that she was shooting this movie. She was so excited about her daughter playing Yahora. So um, pretty cool. I like that. I like that. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Yeah, and I just love that she played a Trekkie in something prior to becoming a horror. I think that's nuts. I love yeah. that. Love the terminal. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's it. Uh, let's um, let's let's get into the get into the breakdown, and I'll get into some other fun little details. Well, uh, I want to talk about a little thing called showmanship. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, you know, like you know, we we talk about like. What a what a ride this movie is. This movie does can't even wait until like the the studio fanfare is over, because like immediately the first thing you get in this movie is Michael Giacchino's score. <sighs> it is a vital part of this movie, mm-hmm. and the next two movies, to be honest, like it it is entirely possible that as a whole, if you take because like there's themes and things that I like more. But as a whole, Michael Giacchino's Star Trek 2009 score might be my favorite movie score of all time. Um, I just think it's incredible. Like, as a full, like, piece, like, the entire mm. score is just incredible. Um, there are other themes and other movies that I like more, but I don't know if I love the totality of a score more than I love Giacchino's Star Trek score. It's so good. It's definitely... It's definitely one I've listened to quite a bit over the years. Yeah. Um, but we get, and yeah, it just gets me hyped. Just even seeing like the bad robot uh, logo just takes me back. Like, oh yeah, I remember that little dude. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they, uh, he, he really should have been in front of Force Awakens. I think they would have been a flex. Yeah, I don't think they would have ever let him, but I agree. <laughs> and uh, we we are brought to the USS Kelvin, and it's, J.J. Abrams Star Trek. It's just it all, it all came back to me like the lens flare. Do you remember how like rabid people were like 13 years ago about calling out and calling attention to like the lens flare? Mm-hmm. And yeah. it the, the first criti- the first person who was critical of it was the editor of the film uh, who got the dailies back and thought there was something wrong with the print. Um and <laughs> called the Daily Studio and they're like, why the hell is it overblown? Why does it look like this? It looks it looks crazy. And they're like, that's how he shot it. <laughs> and and, he, and the, the editor had to like call up Abrams. It's like, is this true? And he's like, yeah, isn't it cool? And he's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and it just <laughs> had to had to tr- try to edit this thing. But um but yeah, it, it's interesting. I think Abrams even says that he got carried away with the lens flare in this one on the commentary. He says that um, where like there'll be certain scenes where he's like, yeah, the lens flare, I, it got a little out of out of control on on this scene or that scene or this shot. Um, but it was constant. It was like, yeah, I always want some light hitting the camera lens like some light on set, a flashlight, any anything we can. I want something hitting it because he was trying to capture a sort of like otherworldliness to the future. Um and and thought that like 
that would help with that. And I, I think it does. Like, it doesn't feel crazy to me. It just feels like a stylistic choice when I'm watching it now. So I don't really know what everybody's problem was. I think they just wanted to be annoyed. Uh, Tyler, any perspective on lens flare in 2023? <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, I, I had remembered there being more. So, uh, cause I, I do remember <laughs> a lot of that criticism is cause I, I do find it ironic that Spielberg was the second choice and everything. Cause one of uh, the criticisms of JJ Abrams coming in is he wanted to be Spielberg. And so, um, I, I find it interesting that, he needed a push from the person that he supposedly was trying to be to make this movie. And then all the lens flares came in and it, I, I think only once or twice watching it this time, I was like, uh, like, okay, he he could have toned it down there, but it did, it didn't really, but it, it felt like part of the movie, like what, what was happening on screen. So it didn't jump out as me as much. Mm-hmm. For sure. And it becomes far more, he uses it far more sparingly by the time we get to like Force Awakens, Rise of Skywalker. But uh, speaking of both those movies, another very important uh, creative force behind this movie, Star Trek, and I think why I enjoy it so much, is director of photography Dan Mindel, J.J. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abrams' go-to guy. I just love the way just these two work together and just like as we're brought into the deck of the kelvin there's so much kind of quiet energy and just the way we're zipping around the deck as like the sound effects are bleeping and blooping mm-hmm. absolutely uh, the kelvin is named after uh abram's grandfather whose name was kelvin and uh and the uh the code the ncc like Oh 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 nine fourteen or something like that. It's his birthday, so like it's just one big like ode to his grandfather. Um, uh, funny story about about uh, Chris Hemsworth. Um, Chris mm. Hemsworth was an absolute nobody actor at this point, and um, in the commentary, it. in the commentary, Abrams is just like, "Oh yeah, we cast this guy because he looked a lot like Chris Pine." That was it. He didn't even get. He didn't even say his name. He was just like, "Yeah, we cast this guy. This guy because <laughs> he he looked enough like Kirk. Whatever. I don't know." <laughs> which that's funny. which is funny because when the movie, by the time the movie came out, I remember him. He'd already been announced as Thor, and he he was mm-hmm. supposed to be like this next big thing. So I walked in knowing about this guy that he just that just yeah. happened to get cast. Like I, I, it was it was almost kind of like the the Chris Prattish effect. Only I think Hemsworth has had a better career tra- trajectory than 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 Pratt has had. Where sure, you know, like you you knew that they were a talent and one to watch in the future, and this was just like a taste type thing. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's a really fun performance to watch now because at once he's so good in this. And just as such a presence and you really attach yourself to George and you're, you know, you feel something in this cold open when he, he dies, he dies talking to his, his wife. Um, but also you're able to appreciate how much he's grown as an actor since, mm-hmm. since then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like but he he's so fresh faced, but he's got the goods. He's got For the sure. goods already. And it, it helps really sell the, this open. I, I think this open is one of the best things JJ's done. 
and kind of ah, I think I agree. Kind of, kind of makes me I I think I Scott could probably tell when I was watching the movie because I texted him like a like a week ago. I was like I wish that any of the emotion and energy that Abrams had put into this opening ten minutes had been put in either of his Star Wars movies. Mm. Yeah, or even like um, something something this powerful on its own merits like an individual set piece that is just like, you know, you're just watching like a movie and you're like, Oh, Oh, Oh wow. Oh, the, Oh, the baby's coming now. Oh crap. And then, uh, Giacchino and JJ Abrams do this thing. They did it a lot in loss where just all of a sudden at a really heightened emotional moment, the sound will drop out Mm -hmm. and you're just left with the score and the images. Mm -hmm. And it like always got me on loss and it always gets me watching this scene. Yeah. It's, it's also, and th- this is a rule that this this movie follows like all the way through, which is like it it really feels like Abrams was like asking the screenwriters, okay, at every possible moment, what is the worst thing that could happen? Make that happen, and then have them get out of it. Um, it's just like every single time, and it's just it 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 adds a. It, it's not even like stakes. It's just this sort of like, oh, there's always something happening. Like you said, of like, oh, they're being attacked by a Romulan ship from the future. Oh, his wife is giving birth. Oh, he's captain of the ship. Oh, their captain is dead. Oh, she like he's not going to be able to get to her. Like, he, you know, it's just it, it's just ramping up and up and up and up and then releases. And then you start built ramping back up again. It's It's just constant, constantly ramping up to a crescendo, dropping out ramping back up to a crescendo and it's just uh it's a really really well-paced film and you know that equation that you that you mentioned is it reminds me a lot speaking of like chris pine channeling indiana jones Mm -hmm. i've 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 watched interviews of spielberg saying that same formula comes into indiana jones Mm -hmm. of like and then he okay if he gets if he gets on the truck there has to be a bad guy or if he gets a gun it has to be empty or it gets punched out of his hand like you always have to take something away as you move forward. And it's, mm-hmm. I think this movie follows that same kind of math. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I want to shout out uh, a really fun character actor that I don't see around anymore. Unfortunately for Ron to hear um, mm-hmm. is the captain of the Kelvin. You saw him in the previous summer as the bad guy in Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And I missed I him. thought this guy I'm... was going to be somebody because he was like in back to back blockbusters. I really thought yeah. I was like, oh, we're going to see a lot more of this guy. And then that was kind of it for him. Right. It was like these two things. And then he never really got cast in anything big again. Right. I don't think so. I think he mostly got typecast, unfortunately, as like the terrorist or, you know, like some something xenophobic. Which is yeah, so, so frustrating because he's so fucking good in this movie like he's such a good starship captain he's got he's got like a picard vibe to him um yeah there's this moment the little moment where he's like everything's falling apart people are dying and he's like walking up a little set of stairs and the crew bird the crew person is like going down the stairs and even she stops to like stand as like people are like you do not need to do that but he's like oh the captain yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's one thing that I think the Kelvin movies do better than any other Star Trek anything up to this point is it shows you the the scale of what it what you are in charge of as the captain of a starship. Like mm-hmm. 
when when he is like leaving the bridge and going through like you know going to the shuttle and you're seeing all of these things and like like you said like that woman who like kind of like stands at attention for a second and then and then keeps running it's just like wow he is in charge of thousands of people (laughs) like thousands of people doing their jobs and like this whole ship is gigantic and he is in charge of it like it's crazy like it's just i've never really been able to like put the scale in my head of like this is everything that a captain of a starship is in charge of it's kind of insane yeah i'm interested to see what uh the the way this this trilogy of movies approaches the concept of the be captaining a ship or even Mm -hmm. like the ship itself Mm -hmm. it's it's interesting but uh yeah great cold open then we get boom the punch of star trek cut to iowa Mm -hmm. Uh, a young james tiberius kirk has stolen his stepfather greg grunberg's car (laughs) and uh cranks sabotage and i remember this being like a big moment at the time of like whoa star trek's playing beastie boys i thought this was for nerds and like (laughs) You know, like sabotage was a little bit classic rock, even by oh nine. So I don't know how it plays now, <laughs> but you know, I think it actually fun. plays better now than it even did sure. in two thousand nine because it's like, oh yeah, like they've stood the test of time. Like I, the Beastie Boys could still be around. I don't know. That's true. Yeah, I dug it. Um. So yeah. Oh, uh, okay. I I have a question. Uh, so the highway patrol officer that pulls over Kirk. Uh. Human or Android? I don't know. Voiced by J.J. Abrams. I know that. Oh. Um, But I, I don't know if he's human or Android. I will say this is the only part of the movie I don't like. Um, <laughs> it's this 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 dude, this this cop. Um, and oh, the really? line, Yeah, and the line of, like, uh, what's your name? My name is James Tiberius Kirk. I don't, I, I hate that. I hate <laughs> all of that. I don't mind the, the, the car and the beastie boys and the jumping off the cliff and all of that. Like, that's fun. Like, but there's something so clunky about that particular bit. And I don't like the design of the robot. It's just very, see, I'm just assuming it's a robot. I don't really know, sure. but I, I, I don't like the design of it. It's very on Star Trek in my opinion. I Tyler, what do you think? It, it, it's funny. I'd, I'd never actually thought about it as human or Android. So the fact that you've asked the question has just made me question everything now. Um, <laughs> I, I always assumed it was an Android. So that, that that's what I'll go with. But next time I watch it, I'll definitely be looking for now, now that you've planted that seed in my head, I'll, I'll definitely be <laughs> looking for something different now. Scott, I'm actually there's, the, there's something weird. I'm actually the opposite way of you. I don't like the cliff jumping and the the slow motion and oh. the the edge stuff. And I I don't like the question and the way he says what his name is. But the cliff part bothers me more. I I like it because to me he's just being a dick to a stepdad. Like I just like it. There there he has no purpose other than like hell yeah I'm gonna wreck this car fuck my stepdad. Like and I kind of I like that energy in this kid. I think that that's fun. Um, but uh, but I can understand why it rubs people the wrong way. Definitely. It's uh, it is interesting because like something that I thought about during the movie 
well into the movie with Chris Pine's performance is like, wow, this guy's a lot more like fratty than the Kirk that I've watched on this series of movies and even the episodes of the show. He's like he's like a bit more straight laced than I think we remember him being mm-hmm. like he's not quite the like sleazy like Lothario that we remember him but going back to Lindelof's Spock solution I think the nature of the Kelvin universe just the fact that this guy didn't have the father figure that that Kirk did mm-hmm. it all it, it it clears the the runway in my mind of yeah he would be a, a different guy than the Kirk I knew in the old mm-hmm. show mm-hmm. and like yeah maybe that Kirk wouldn't <laughs> steal his dad's car and drive it off a cliff but this is already a different kid like from birth mm-hmm yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I do. I I do wonder what Greg Greg Grunberg's, uh life was like in the original timeline. Like, like you know, like <laughs> what was his life? Guy. Yeah, without without uh, Kirk's mom. You know, like what? Who did he end up marrying? Did he marry anyone? Was his life really sad? Is is the Kelvin universe better for him than uh, than the original? I don't know. I'm just curious. Yeah, I want to know more about this guy. Was he in Starfleet? <laughs> Yeah, maybe he was uh yeah, maybe he he would have just stayed in in San Francisco. Or like no, they're in Iowa. They're in Iowa. Yeah. I don't know. Uh we cut to Vulcan the planet where a uh, young Spock is <laughs> being quite Vulcanly bullied by <laughs> several other school children. Uh great 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 performance by the young kid playing Spock. Yeah. Yeah, he's really good. Um, I don't love Savic in this. Um, I, I think I, Sarek, right? Sarek, I think sorry, Savic's, sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, two, they're too similar. Uh, I don't know. Learn more letters, Star Trek. I corrected um, you on something. Yeah, yeah, Sarek. I don't love Sarek in this. I, I, I don't think I really like. Obviously, I like OG Sarek. Um, but I also really like the Sarek who is on. Um. Star Trek Discovery and uh, and and Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds, but um, this guy just lacks something. He's just a little too stern, and I also think he's too old um, for for Sarek. He's a little more. He's like the age Sarek is almost like when like Spock is like an adult. You know, like it's odd. I don't know. Yeah, no. He he, he looks like Search for Spock's Sarek. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't he just doesn't quite work for me. But I don't know. But uh we do get that scene where uh Spock and Sarek have a heart to heart and Sarek tells Spock like you have to like kind of suppress your human side and like I I I married your mother be- for logic, you know, because I'm an ambassador for Earth and whatnot. And it's uh you know, from the jump I think like the spine of the movie is like showing how different Kirk and Spock's upbringings were, but then also like finding the commonalities of it. And I think it's something that ages really well for the movie. Yeah. And definitely. And efficiently sets up their, their older selves. Like it's, it's interesting. I feel like if this movie were made now, we'd, we'd get a little bit more of the childhood before jumping into the adulthood that we might not necessarily need. But I think this sums up both of their defining characteristics and what drives them throughout the movie like you you even see quinto at a lot of points in the movie trying to suppress that human side trying to stay vulcan uh, and heed his dad's advice and i think it's what probably five total minutes of the movie if that 
between the two scenes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny you say that because originally the movie opened with the birth of Spock um, and the sort of like Vulcan reaction to a, you know, quote unquote half breed uh, being born on Vulcan. Um, and they eventually cut it because they were like, I think it works better if we just do Kirk's birth scene because it's more action oriented and we can do like a like a cold open kind of thing. Um, which is what they eventually do. But, uh, but yeah, originally it was just going to go back and forth between like Spock birth, Kirk's birth, Kirk's, <laughs> Kirk's childhood, Spock's childhood. Spock's childhood, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It just, it was going to like rock back and forth between the two of them. Um, you know, sort of like showing their trajectory and, and, uh, how they are, uh, destined to, uh, befriend each other. Um, I, uh, oh, then I, after, scene with a uh, young Spock and his father. We get a scene of older Spock played by Zachary Quinto with his mother played by Winona Ryder pre stranger things. Yes. This was like a big deal that, that Winona Ryder was cast in something because she had been blacklisted for like shoplifting for what was it like seven years or something like that? Seven to 10. I mean, it was, it was crazy, which is absolutely insane when you now compare this to the fact that like, they're thinking about like sticking with Ezra Miller as the flash. And it's like, really? Like we're going to stick with them, but you blackballed Winona Ryder for 10 years for shoplifting once. Cool. Really awesome. Um, But Yeah. uh, yeah, I was, I, you know, it's really like heartwarming that Abrams was like, no, fuck that. I'm casting her. She's going to be good. And uh, she crushes it. It's a, it's yeah. almost a cameo, but I think every moment with her and Spock is very... No, I think this actually might be her only real scene before her, her death scene. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. But no, it's great. Yeah, it's good. And you know, we'll talk about Kinto for the rest of the, the episode, because <laughs> he, I mean, he crushes this. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, back on Iowa, mm-hmm. we uh, Kirk is like hanging out at uh, a Starfleet bar. It seems well, for, like... first we get we get uh, uh, Spock uh, bailing oh, on, yes. the, on the science yeah. school, right? Yeah, yeah. He is the first Vulcan in history to turn down admittance into the Vulcan Science Academy, and he does it in very Kirk, you know, human like fashion. Because, like, off the cuff, one of the judges like talks that talk about Spock's mom and calls mm-hmm. her a disadvantage. And this is when I knew, and I remember my audience even like reacting. This is when we knew that Zachary Quinto was like going to crush this. He manages to turn live long and prosper into go fuck yourself. Yes. Oh my God. It's so good. Yes. <laughs> uh, live long and prosper. <laughs> <laughs> but that he's like, I'm going to Starfleet. Yeah. I hope, I hope in the script, it says go fuck yourself in parentheses, like in, in the parenthetical, like above live long and prosper. <laughs> I'm, I'm um, sure we could find that. Is, that. Oh, please. <laughs> yeah. I know being being a Lindelof nerd, I do know that that was something he would put into his like lost scripts. Yeah. For like emotion, like emotionally it's fuck you, but like it's not going to be that in the Right, right. Or like he'll like write an action where he's like Jack uh ju- jumps the cliff and it's the coolest fucking thing you've ever fucking seen. Like <laughs> like he would do stuff like that in the scripts. He he shame blacked <laughs> it. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. One hundred percent. Um. And then we cut to Iowa, Kirk, and like a very maverick. Like he goes to a 
bar that's predominantly made of like hot-headed Starfleet cadets that are raring to go into space. Mm-hmm. He tries to hit on Ahura. Uh, I'm I, I love the little detail of the kind of boozy alien in between them that's like rolling his eyes every time Kirk tries to hit on Ahura. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Um, but you're right, Tyler. I think this is it. It, it it's kind of a lot of this is aged the most. Like we get this really cringy Joss Whedon-y moment where they're, you know, Kirk scuffling with the cadets and he accidentally like gropes Ahura. And he smiles. And it's like, well, are you... yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, what are you going to do? Like, whoa, geez. <laughs> um, but then that's, yeah. but this is when we get a oh, place. I would say, but then it's followed by Captain Pike get sitting down and giving him this like amazing speech about what his dad did. And the your dad was a captain for twelve minutes, and he saved eight hundred people. What are you? What are you gonna do? I I dare you to do. Oh, better. that's what it was. It is. It is. Um, to me, I think it's the greatest mission statement line in blockbuster history. Um, I I, I again like I, that's like a strong statement, but I think that it's it's such a like looking back on it, it's just like oh, that's the whole movie in a nutshell. Like that's. That's what he's chasing. That's the promise of this movie. Like it, it's it's an incredible line, and it's a the mission statement line is not a thing that most movies do, but it's a thing I'm a big fan of. It's a thing that um is in like uh, Cloverfield. There's like this great moment in Cloverfield where uh right at the tail end of Act One, all of the characters are like out on a balcony. And he's just found out, like, that he's going to, like, have to go to London or wherever he's going. And then, like, um, uh, uh, his his the girl that he likes is, like, dating someone else or something like that. I forget exactly the details of it. But his best friend is like, hey, sometimes you just got to say fuck the world and hold on to the people that you love the most. And then in that moment, he says that line. All the lights go out and you hear the Cloverfield monster for the first time. And it's just like, oh, that's the mission statement of the of the of the movie like that is what he's doing it's like he's going to say fuck the world and just like care about the people that he loves the most and it just gives me chills to think about and this is that moment for this movie and i just i i love a mission statement line and that mission statement line is absolutely fucking unbelievably good i love it both uh, both bad robot joints that's very true um yeah uh, other uh, just other things before we leave this scene. Uh, there's a really cool moment where Hura goes up to the bar and orders a few drinks, and one of the drinks she orders is a slusho mix. Mm-hmm. Speaking of slusho, yeah. <laughs> slusho being the soft field. drink, soft drink company that was drilling into the center of the earth to look for new flavors that unleash the Cloverfield monster. As <laughs> to canon. look, look for new up. flavors. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be some new flavor somewhere. <laughs> Drill into the center of the earth. <laughs> no one's tasted that before. <laughs> oh, no. You're insane, am I? <laughs> Said with the eye twitch, uh, am I? I can't do an eye twitch off the yeah. cuff, but yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I'm Bruce Greenwood. What a what what a gift for, 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 for these couple of movies that he's in. Yeah, yeah. Just crush uh He's he's a very good uh, Christopher Pike. Um, he is now my second favorite Christopher Pike, though. <laughs> right, but he is very good. <laughs> 
So uh, Kirk is success- like, like a lot of young men in his position, you know, late 20s, wayward, unemployed. He gets recruited and hops on board a ship the next morning. He gives he gives that guy his car or his bike. The keys. Yeah. Well, and speaking of speaking of uh, very Maverick, you know, Top Gun moment is like him driving up on that bike and seeing the Enterprise being built um, is like, oh, my God, that's that's the shit. Like, I remember seeing that first trailer. I think that's the opening shot of the of the first like full trailer. And it just with his leather jacket. (laughs) Just yeah, it kicks ass. It's so good. Uh, um and yeah he he gets into the he gets into the pod and we get uh bones's intro and yeah like no kidding one of my favorite performances in a film period yeah yeah um the line especially now like having just watched so much just like the original movies and getting to see deforest kelly i'm like oh my god it's even better than i remembered it yeah the line um she left me nothing but my bones was uh <laughs> improvised oh wow. that was that was improvised so like he gave he gave the explanation of like how he got that nickname of bones that's funny some people do not like that line really they uh it's i've heard it brought up in the same breath as like who are you people and like from solo like that oh. kind of like putting a hat on it but i think it's i think it's fun I think it's fun. I, 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 I like it as like a, oh, yeah. Now, every, so every time he says Bones, like Kirk is like trolling him a little bit. <laughs> and I kind of like that. I don't know. It's fun. It's, it's definitely a lot more. The, the, the solo one was more like a, I feel like the writers were right next to me going, huh? Huh? You see how I, how, how I tied that in? Huh? Huh? And this yeah, one, sure. it, especially the way that he just kind of sat down and started running into his complete life history of why he was it at that very moment. It, it fit. Cause especially cause I think he kind of said it was like almost like a, an afterthought. Like it was, it was to yeah, himself, yeah. not to anybody else, which is why I think it right, worked a lot audience. more. Yeah. It was thrown away. I think the, the guy, you know, who played that role in solo, I think he just put a little too much stank on it. And I think that's why <laughs> it really stuck on people's stuck in people's yeah. craw. Um, part of cinema history. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, uh, something that I didn't really appreciate watching this when I was 16 is like from, from bones's perspective, this is almost like stripes. He's, <laughs> yeah. He's like a 38-year-old dude. His wife just left him, and he's like, fuck it. I'm joining Starfleet. I don't care if I live or die. I'm just going to hang out with a bunch of 25-year-olds. That's good. Um, And yeah, he's like, he tells Pike right before the ship takes off, like, four years, I'll do it in three, old man. And uh, and he does, right? He does. He he, he does, and so does McCoy, I, I need to point out. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Presumably, um, Ahura and the rest of them have have already been there a year. Uh, yeah, because they were like on leave, right? Yeah, they were like in their uniforms and everything. So, mm. yeah, yeah, they're on like shore leave. Yeah. So uh, it's the morning of the Kobayashi Maru, y'all. <laughs> on leave in Iowa. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> You get one night on Earth. Wait, are, you, are you saying you want to go somewhere else, Scott? You don't want to go to Iowa? <laughs> oh, man. Yikes. Can you believe it, boys? Iowa tonight. 
corn as far as the eye can see. <laughs> That's where they're building the Enterprise. <laughs> so, uh, Kirk, it's Kirk's morning to take the Kobayashi Maru for a third time. Bones is like, you're crazy. And, you know, like, I don't want a prequel to a prequel, but you just know these two got into some shenanigans over the past three years. Oh, yeah. Especially after kind of what happens later, what he puts Pine through to get him on to the ship. Oh, yeah. You, you, yeah. No, Bones is. I was like, you, you, you know that they got into, got into some stuff. For sure. No, Bones kind of has Hermione energy. Oh, a little bit, yeah. yeah. Just constantly getting Kirk out of scrapes, you know, talking, you know, cheating on tests for him and stuff like that. So uh, Kirk leaves to go hook up with Ahura's roommate, it turns out, who is, that is Rachel Nichols from, was she like a J.J. Abrams player at that point? Or is this just like a coincidence? I don't know. Okay. Who is, I, I don't know her. Who she was she? in uh, G.I. Okay. Joe. She was Scarlet in the G.I. Joe movie. In the first one. Oh. That's the only thing I remember her in. Oh. Yeah, I think that might be your biggest. Um, but so this is kind of a fan call out because she is the green species that Kirk hooked up with in the show. Um, Kind of, again, playing up Kirk the Lothario. Mm-hmm. Um, we get another cringy moment where Ahura comes and starts like undressing mm-hmm. in her dorm and Kirk's like, oh, oh, oh this is crazy. <laughs> um, but the plot reason for this is Ahura is telling her roommate about a, a, a weird transmission that she she picked up. But then they all have to take the Kobayashi. It's probably so annoying that anytime anyone wants to take the Kobayashi Maru, like 12 people have to volunteer their time to be on the crew. Yeah. Yeah, that is pretty annoying. And just to have everyone uh, there pretty is... much fail it too, like it, like knowing yeah. that you're helping participate in something that this person's going to fail in. That's yeah. the thing that I don't understand about the presentation of the Kobayashi Maru here, which is that like, if everyone knows that you're supposed to fail it, why does anybody take it? Like it just it just feels so like. I don't know. It feels like <laughs> well, it feels so pointless. <laughs> what uh, a- as Spock explains in the so Kirk takes he cheats on the Kobayashi Maru and like hacks into it and is able to pass it. But then it's like, oh, you cheated. He gets like there's a whole trial. Tyler Perry's there. And what <laughs> Spock says is like, I designed that test. By the way, I just want to say what a fucking great moment of like, that's just great. Like story like blockbuster storytelling of like how did that kid like how did that kid cheat your test camera whips around it's spock like i don't know like oh shit that's how they met like (laughs) it's great but it's really good so what's what spock says is like i built that test so that you can experience fear because there are going to be moments in out there in space where you're not going to know what's going on everything's going to be falling around you and we want to see you need to see how you are in those moments. But if everyone knows what the Kobayashi is, then how can anyone take it accurately? Right. No one like, would feel fear because everyone knows that you're supposed to fail it. So, yeah. Like, 
it should be a surprise, right? That's what I would think. I would think that you shouldn't know what the Kobayashi Maru test is. You just show up to do a test, and it ends up being the Kobayashi Maru, you know? Yeah, that's... I don't know. <laughs> I like how we're all silent after, like, we're all just like, huh. <laughs> okay. Well, I yeah. think it's like... Or, or maybe it's like, I wonder, I guess what matters is like the reputation of the Kobayashi Maru. Like, mm. um, it, it like it is, is the word around Starfleet that this is a really hard test or this is designed to be unwinnable. Like, is right. that kind of what like Spock's true intention was, but like, do people just know it as like this really hard test that no one's ever passed? Right. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Um, it's a cool scene, though. Like, I like the scene. I like how everyone is just like, how how uh, nonchalant he is and exactly. how everyone is like, yeah. And everyone is just like, OK, whatever. <laughs> like, it's just <laughs> taking truly huge bites out of that apple every time. Oh, yeah. 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 Somebody um, somebody told me once that um, n- no one is capable of not looking like a cocky asshole eating an apple. It's just not possible. And I think that they might be right. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so uh, Kirk's trial is interrupted by urgent news that Vulcan is under attack. Right. Mm hmm. Is that what the alert says? And all of our crew is somewhere else in true Star Trek fashion. So all of the cadets, congratulations. You're now getting assigned to your ships. Everyone except Kirk, who is on academic suspension, and McCoy helping his buddy out, injects him with some kind of like virus that he has, or some kind of allergic, like like pollen thing that he has an allergic reaction to. And we get, yeah, some really goofy, fun set pieces of like, his hands get Num-tongue? really big. He gets dry tongue. Numb tongue. Yeah. It's, and yeah, Chris Pine crushes all of it. Uh, it's so good. It, it's weird um, that that scene shouldn't fit as well as it does into the movie because mm-hmm. it. I don't think it ever really goes that slapstick. At least this one doesn't go that slapsticky again. It's just like it. it they they literally took the fun in games portion of what they needed to do in this movie and literally turned it into fun in games of just the most slapstick stuff that works. But it doesn't really fit with anything else that's in the movie, ironically. It, but it is very similar to the scene with the with the rolling aliens in um, Force Awakens on the on the uh, Millennium Falcon. The mm. yeah, oh that, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. very Rathgars. yeah, it's just Rath- yeah, Rathgars. yeah, the Rath- Rathgars or whatever. Yeah, that's it's like it's like a very. It's like a very silly, like slapsticky scene like that. Um, so it's it's obviously something that like Abrams just likes to have, I think, in his stuff. I would even say that like it's the most slapsticky thing we get in this whole trilogy. Like, you know, be, I, Beyond is like known has the reputation of like it's the bright fun one. I think Beyond's kind of a bummer too. Beyond goes pretty hardcore. Like it does. people get people get wrecked in that one, and there's yeah. not a lot of like. Oh no, the captain's head is big. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, I miss it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it has to be said, the moment going back to Michael Giacchino's score, the moment where they see the Enterprise for the first time, and uh the track on the on the on the score is called Enterprising Young Men, but like what a glorious reveal for this version of the Starship Enterprise. Mm-hmm. 
That's really great. I, I, I love the design of this ship. I think it's it's uh it's really great. I do think I I uh I do not disagree with the criticism that the bridge looks like an Apple store. Um I I I I wish there was more color, I think, in the in the bridge, um and less glass, but the ship itself I think looks really, really phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. Um and on the deck of this Apple store, we meet Sulu, <laughs> played by John Cho, uh, who gets a great moment of like, he, 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 he gets like the one thing you don't want to happen on your first day, mm-hmm. you know, where you make like one dumb mistake in front of everybody. Um, but the joke that I kind of appreciate now more than I did back in 09 is like, oh my God, of all people to mess up, it's freaking Sulu, the greatest pilot in, in Starfleet. Yeah, absolutely. Um. And I love, I love that it's just a stupid, like, dumb mistake, uh, mm-hmm. you know, where he's probably only flown Sims at this point. Um, and so right. he's just nervous. You know, he's pulling out a space dock. It's, uh, it's an exciting moment. And Cho with the perfectly defeated look when, when Spock tells him, <laughs> well, did you do this? And he's just like, uh, nope. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. Okay, ready to go. <laughs> but I like uh, that Captain Pike is just sort of like, just sort of smiling to himself. And he's like, all right, let's try that again. Punch it. And go. <laughs> like, I just, I like that he doesn't give him shit about it. He's like, ah, I think you're feeling like shit enough. I don't need to rag on you. <laughs> oh, uh, Scott, going back to Discovery. Uh, so so uh, Pike says punch it in this. Is that also his signature catchphrase in Strange New Worlds? Yep, sure is. Wow. That's continuity. Yep. yep. <laughs> um and I love Chekhov's first joke too. Like pretty broad, but like, you know, the 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 the, the Wichter Wichter joke. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Anton Yelchin. He and he's uh, he's so good in this. A baby. Oh, yeah, so, so good. good. I love the revelation that he's 17 years old. I think that's the funniest. <laughs> yeah. <thing. laughs> So good. Um, so Vulcan is under attack by Nero and his men. It's a bummer. Um, I have a, a memory that I would like to share. Um, so the Monday or Tuesday after this movie came out, I was in the journalism room uh, after like with my with my friends and we were talking about how cool Star Trek was. My teacher was in his office with door open. We didn't know the door was open. He was like on his computer. And we're like, oh, this and this and that. And when you oh, can you believe when they blew up Vulcan? And from behind, from his office, we hear, they blew up Vulcan. <laughs> and he like comes out of his office, and he's like, they can't, they can't blow up Vulcan. <laughs> What's this guy's problem? It's a new age, old man. <laughs> I the the decision to blow up Vulcan, um, I fully believe in my heart of hearts they've never said this in anything but i fully believe that it is a direct result of something that happened just four years earlier which is uh the destruction of gallifrey in doctor who um freeing that series up and like getting to go in a new direction and 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 everything i really think that the the decision to blow up vulcan is a is a direct result of that of like Oh well, that really worked out for them. Maybe we should do something similar. Has J.J. Abrams ever uh, mentioned being like a Doctor Who fan or, or, or watcher? No, but 
you know, there's also like four other guys who were like <laughs> coming up with the story. So like any one of them could have been a Doctor Who fan. And for sure. Yeah, and, the, the, the show was pretty popular even by then. Like, you know, I think a lot of people credit the Matt Smith era for making it like worldwide popular. But I think by then it was it was already like a pretty buzzy TV show. Yeah, yeah. The David Tennant era was in full swing at this point. 2008 was um, uh, the fourth season, the Donna Noble season. So, right. yeah, it had been on regular rotation on American television, like on Sci-Fi Channel for like a while at that point. It's it's difficult to think about now. I was trying to remember now, but was this like a big deal to nerds at the time? Yeah. Huge. Huge. This was like a gigantic point of contention for Trekkies that like they would like draw a line and just be like, no, this isn't Star Trek because they destroyed Vulcan. Mm. Yeah. It's a big swing. And I even wonder. And but this is, you know, like. I know he's not like a not not a Trekkie, but he's not like a super fan, but he is a super fan of Star Wars. And I guess I was just thinking about Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker. And I'm like, if is there a comparable swing? Like, is there a is there a a, a big enough like I'm going to really shake this thing up and do something radical? But is he like it's like he's is he more precious with Star Wars and therefore less likely to like shake it up? I think the reaction to the destruction of Vulcan made him second guess himself because i my sure. guess would be that the the planet that was supposed to be destroyed in force awakens i think was probably coruscant because that would have been a big fucking deal but <laughs> instead it's just like random planet you know random series of planets um mm. and and that's it it's like time. and it, and it's also honestly it's a criticism that a lot of people have of force awakens it's like we don't know anything about any of those planets like who gives a shit Right. Which is funny because they do the same thing. We don't know anything about Alderaan, but like everybody cared about Alderaan. But (laughs) I guess we have Princess Leia. So, you know, Hmm. but they they needed like one. They need like Poe to be like, no, Hosnian Prime. No, that's where (laughs) I'm from. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But uh, but yeah, I think you're right, though. Yeah. Yeah, I think I I bet he wanted to take a bigger swing, but was like then like had flashbacks of destruction of Vulcan it was like ah maybe maybe just killing five planets instead of one important one is equal <laughs> but uh I'm glad they didn't destroy Coruscant because then they wouldn't have been able to use it so much in the subsequent two movies <laughs> anyway. uh, really love uh Pike being like does anybody have mo- have any fighting experience and Sulu's like I do and then like the moment of Kirk being like, "What are you? What are you? What you're fencing?" Okay, I I love that joke, uh-huh. but I do have to say that I hate this because he is he is not fencing. He has a katana. Like you don't fence with a katana. So yes, like it should have been a real fencing sword. It should have been a fencing sword, or he could have just said like sword fighting or something. Like he didn't have to say fencing. If he was going to pull out a katana. And so, like, it's this weird, it's a lot of, like, weird shit that's going on here that makes the moment, like, not really work for me. And I think it's because, like, one, Sulu fenced, and so it should be a fencing sword. But they went with a katana because Sulu is Japanese. But John Cho isn't Japanese. And so the whole thing feels a little uh, icky. I don't know. Like, the whole thing just doesn't really work for me. But what does work is Uh, the jump. The jump stole. Yeah, the jump. Yeah. 
and that yeah. I, I think the biggest idiot in Star Trek history. Um, oh, Olsen. <laughs> that red shirt. <laughs> Olsen, no. <laughs> God. That should have been Greg Grunberg. Yeah, that would have been good. <laughs> and, but it's smart because, you know, you see him die horribly. And I think the audience, like, knowing how dangerous this jump is, makes. It like okay if you were going into this not knowing anything about Star Trek I think it teaches you oh this Sulu guy is pretty cool because he manages to survive that and so does Kirk showing their competency and it kind of shows you like the risk of what they're doing um but yeah the red the red shirt joke is actually pretty subtle considering like they never do like a wide of him like being in a full red armor yeah but, that's true um I'll give them that but it is like man that is. How did he even survive in school? Like, <laughs> like maybe Pike just does that. Maybe he just drives around bars and is like, "Hey, you want to do something with your life? Maybe at six a.m. tomorrow morning. Don't call you look like parents. a stupid townie." <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's definitely how that one bald guy that Kirk beat up got 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 enlisted. That comes back later. Yeah, probably. Yeah, cupcake. Yeah. Cupcake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that was his Malfoy, probably. They probably they probably had like that exchange for like three years. Yeah, yeah. It it that that is another thing that this movie doesn't do particularly well is uh uh actually present the passage of time as a passage of time. Like, there's a lot of like references to earlier in the movie that were like forty five minutes for us, but were like decades for the characters. <laughs> Like, like when, when Sarek is like, you once asked me why I married your mother. I was like, you remember one tiny conversation that you had with your son, like 25 years ago? It was a big moment. I guess. Um, but the cupcake reference is another thing too, where he's like, cupcake. He's I was like, that was three years ago. Like you were, <laughs> you're, you're holding on to it that long. Couldn't let it go. It's yeah. No. It yeah, it's it's weirder either way. It's even weirder if that was literally the second time they've seen each other. <laughs> yes. Um, it would have been great if if uh, Kirk was like, "Who are you?" <laughs> Had... What? Oh, <laughs> man. Uh so the so Nero and his crew, they inject just a drop of red matter into the heart of Vulcan causing it to blow up. I love the moment where um, I just, I, I'm jumping around in time, but if we can go back to when they're doing the, oh wait, no, no, yeah, no, when, when okay, the moment where, um, Sulu and, uh, Kirk are like hurtling towards Vulcan surface and Chekhov has to race to the transporter room because he's the only one that can, I just think that's such a cool little moment to like get you to care about this character. I, I love that all of the characters have moments like that. I think that's so fun. Mm -hmm. It's a good, good way to write an ensemble blockbuster. Yes. I can do that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Like, even to compare to, I love the crew in Force Awakens. I love Force Awakens, but like, yeah, like, I think this movie might be even better at handling a bigger ensemble than that movie. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Especially once uh, an iconic character joins much later than I actually remember him joining when I first mm -hmm. watched this movie. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. You don't even, it's, you know, we'll, we'll get to it, but, uh, so it's heartbreaking, man. They really, they really tell you how important it is that all members of the Vulcan Council make it off Vulcan before just like smashing three of them with rocks. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> they can't be like, oh, well, there goes everyone you knew about like psychology <laughs> or like math. Um, another Star Wars connection I want to point out is that the sound design for this movie was done by Ben Burt. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, very, very famous uh, Star Wars sound designer. The creator of the lightsaber and blaster fire and all Wally. of that stuff. Yeah, that was that was Ben Burt, and he did, he did all of the sound in this. Mm-hmm. Some great sound. Mm-hmm. Um, Winona Ryder's death, heartbreaking. And, yes. Uh, Heart- heartbreaking and also like I don't know if I think it really works either like cuz it's just so like I wish it was like a bigger moment rather than like mm-hmm. kind of this throwaway thing. I I get like the tragedy of it of like he thought he had her and then in the last possible second he loses her. Um but also like <laughs> Anton Yelchin's reaction to like oh i'm losing her yeah. i'm losing her oh she's i oh. lost her and, I, and it's like he got beat at a video game like that's his reaction and i was like that was fox mom <laughs> you fucking shithead he's 17 <laughs> um and then we get Spock's uh, captain's log acting captain's log where you know we have that great line of i am now a member of an endangered species and I think that's when it really hits you. Even me at the time as a casual Trek fan of like, whoa, <laughs> holy shit. Like all the Vulcans are gone. That's crazy. Yeah, it's wild. It's pretty wild. Um, and speaking of stacking one controversial Trek retcon after another, um, we get Spock goes into the elevator. Uhuru follows him. And it's this emotional revelation that these two are together. These two are involved. Right. Maybe not official um, couple, but. This was based on uh, a early storyline in Star Trek, the original series, um, in which like Ahura sort of has a like a flirtatious reaction to Spock a few times, and then they abandon it pretty quickly on on the show. Um, but, you know, there was something about that uh, that Robert Orsi was like, I really like this. Maybe we should give this a shot. And Lindelof um, thinks that it's like uh, the whole reason to sort of like go back to them being younger is to do stuff like this, stuff that we've never seen before, re- different relationships and, and things like that. So he was really excited by this. Uh, Tyler, what do you think of Spock and Uhura? I like I I think they tried to set it up a little bit earlier when she wasn't assigned to like the the enterprise and he was like I did it so that I wouldn't show favoritism and she's like screw that put me on the enterprise he's like you're on the enterprise now um right right but I you know a, as playful as that was it was I I think it kind of deepened the relationship and the moment especially coming off as Scott said the really cheesy like the I lost her then kind of giving us the the moment of of tenderness for for Spock after such a devastating uh event in his life mm-hmm. uh you know realistically she was probably the only one that he would want to talk to or have around in that moment too so i think it was a good good character building moment for that and i i think it was also there to kind of also 
sell the fans on like, hey, you know, you you might not agree with this, but here's why we think this works as well as they actually are. Mm-hmm. They do care for each other. They do, you know, know each other. They do understand each other. So I think, yes, it was controversial, but the way they did it was there to convince truck fans, hey, this is why this actually works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like Scott, as, as Scott quoted from Lindelof, like that's such like, why, why else? Like, but mm-hmm. to, we're going back to when these characters were younger, let's like mix them up and put them in new dynamics. And yeah, I, I think Zeldana and Quinto really sell. It's a really beautiful moment of, like you said earlier, Ty, like he's like the Arkham Spock, like having these big feelings. And when he's able to embrace Ahura, you can see that he has all these feelings, but then he wants to ultimately thinks that he has to hide them. So when she's like, what do you need for me? And he's like, just tell the crew to, you know, keep doing what they're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. shutting down it's a it's a really good it's a really good uh it's a, it's a phenomenal performance from zachary quinto who is accepting her love and support but not really like giving her anything back because of all that vulcan stuff in his brain um mm-hmm. and it's it yeah it's just it's a really like complex performance in that scene that i'm i'm really impressed by and while this was uh, controversial, it had to have been less controversial than Ahura and Scotty <laughs> uh, <laughs> in Star Trek V. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, it's good. I like it. They have good chemistry. Uh, speaking of good chemistry, we get that really cool scene where almost all of them are on the bridge. Um, we get that moment where Kirk's in the chair and Spock's like out of the chair. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's good. And uh, things build up until eventually Kirk just doesn't know how to keep his mouth shut. Mm-hmm. And uh, Spock, like, decks him, right? Like, get him off no, the No, no. The, or, the, oh, the, Vulcan, yeah. Evoken. Yeah, Evoken pitches him because he starts fighting with the security who's, like, taking him away. And then right. he, he throws him on a ship and abandons him on a planet. <laughs> yep. Not I, protocol. I, no, I feel like somebody should have taken away his captain keys at that point. Like, that's not what we do to crew members. Um, I don't know. Like, they try to... The, the, I think that's what that are you out of your Vulcan mind scene later is supposed to be, is, yeah. like, acknowledging that that was out of line. But, yeah, it's crazy that he was able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, insane. But, uh, uh, so, so Kirk's on that snowy planet and the creature that he runs into, um, on the planet, uh, that is a, a creature designed by, um, by, uh, 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 Neville Page, who also designed the Cloverfield monster and is therefore sort of responsible for this whole era of like generic looking gray (laughs) creatures that were like (laughs) in everything, uh, during this era. The Cloverfield um, monster, the Super 8 monster. Yep, yep. He did all of Countless those. And they all look very, very similar. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that he's not um, really designing much stuff anymore. Um, but <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I remember I remember liking that aesthetic at the time. Like, I, liked, I, liked the, I remember thinking the Cloverfield monster was really cool. But yeah, it's, 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 weird. it's crazy how quickly you can dry up and all of a sudden be like, hey, these things are starting to look the same. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it was a revelation for Cloverfield because you're just like, I don't know how to even look at this thing. It's so alien, like, I don't know what to focus on. And, like, there is an existential terror in that, 
you know, like a, like a cosmic mm-hmm. horror thing to that, which I think is really cool. But then, like, when he just kept doing the same thing, I, I was like, okay, man, like... At a certain point, you got to have fun designing these things instead of just like putting a random a bunch of random shit together and coloring it gray. <laughs> I'm sure one of uh, them at some point was a rough draft of one that he did for another for some something else. He's like, ah, this works. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, what I do like about this thing though is that it's bright red. Mm-hmm. That's true. Hey, wait, is it bright red or is the thing that attacks it through the ice bright red? Oh, I'm getting my thing. I'm getting my things mixed up. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're co- confusing the the bigger fish. <laughs> There's always a bigger fish. There's always a bigger fish. This is kind of the slow point of the movie for me, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Which is he's getting chased by a giant monster, but it still feels like a okay. I think go to the bathroom. I I find it odd that they got to Vul- They went from Earth to Vulcan in three minutes. But mm-hmm. to, like, go from Vulcan to, like, where they're meeting up with the rest of Starfleet, it's just taking, like, hours for some reason. Um, that I don't quite understand. Uh, but I don't know. Time. Movie time. <laughs> it's like the the runway in the Fast and Furious movie. It just never ends. Oh, right. yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um I actually think when I saw this in the theater the first time, this is the point where I went to the bathroom and I came back and there were like the monsters attacking each other. I was like, what did I, I was like, what? The, this seemed like yeah, the time man. where the filmmaker was like, okay, if you need to go, go. Can you imagine <laughs> if you had gone to the bathroom and you come back and you just see Leonard Nimoy on the screen? I, <laughs> yeah. I, I thankfully at least made it, made it back before ne- before Nimoy showed up. Otherwise I would have been like, what in the heck is happening in this movie? Yeah. I, if I'm not, if I'm remembering right, I, that completely surprised me the first time. Spock showing up? Well, yeah, I don't think I had any, at any hint that he was going to be in the cast. Well, there was the, the, there's the moment earlier where he arrives in this time period because sure, Nero, welcome back, Nero Spock. Is, yeah, yeah. Nero was like, ah, Spock, the time. Here we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we're done waiting, boys. <laughs> Spock's yeah, back I, on the menu. <laughs> Spock's back on the menu, boys. <laughs> and I think the first time I was like, they're not really gonna do that, are they? I mean, I think they kind of have to, but like, is he is he gonna be? And then I remember our audience being like, in Texas, you know, it was like, whoa, Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jim, it got me this time. Mm-hmm. I I will say I again I I remembered this part. It it is a slow part, but I remembered this part being much longer when I when I was younger. Like I it was over faster than I thought it was and then you know, we get to meet uh Simon Pegg and the movie just kind of retakes off from there, but yeah, this is this is a bizarre ten minutes of the or so of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Simon Pegg is literally like that thing in Mario Kart. Do you drive over it and like it speeds you up? <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. I, uh, um, the 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 yeah the whole like explanation of like who Spock Prime is and where he comes from and and that whole storyline, um, that whole sequence is the mind meld. Um, is, you know, it's basically the movie justifying itself as a reboot. 
Uh, like that's the whole purpose of that. And uh, it's like it's it's a sequence for Trekkies where they're like, see, we don't hate you. <laughs> We're not totally r- ruining your franchise. Look, it still exists just in a different timeline. All good. We're good. <laughs> you know, um, so I understand the purpose of it. But like, yeah, it, de- it definitely does slow down the pace for sure. But they find a way to center it back on the friendship of Kirk and Spock, mm-hmm. like little little moments of even just like at the beginning when Nimoy's like it's remarkably comforting to see you again old friend but it's like oh man i've missed this guy so much and then he yeah. he gives him the solution of how to like rile himself up to force the plot where they need to go which i think is yeah it's it's interesting it works uh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but i i there was i like that there was a emotional uh, compromise, Spock. There was a deleted, um, uh, well, not deleted, but like, uh, uh, there was a planned, um, cameo from William Shatner here, uh, where to prove that they were friends, he was going to like show him like video of of yeah. um Kirk played by William Shatner like sort of sending Nimoy off sending Spock off as he becomes like an ambassador. And like, he's like, I'm probably never going to see you again, you know, whatever. And like talking sort of summing up their friendship um, and what he's meant to him and what their relationship has meant to him. So that Spock can be like Spock prime can be like, see, you're not always an asshole. Um, hey, buddy, but- it's me, Kirk. I know you're taking <laughs> off today. I'm at the bars. What did you say? Bye. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's basically that. And uh, they offered it to Shatner, and Shatner was like, nope, I'm in the movie just as much as, as Leonard Nimoy, or I'm not in it at all. Uh, and they're like, I guess you're not in it at all. Then. There's uh, the Shatner we See know. you later. <laughs> yep. I was going to say, yeah, never change. <laughs> yep. Um, so he he uh, he ended up not being in the movie. But yeah, he literally was like, no, no, no. See, I wrote this book where the the my death in generations wasn't real and i'm not dead anymore and we can canonize that and then we can bring i can be on the ship with spock we can be doing this mission together and then and like he's like okay but then at that point it's not the movie that we're making and and now we're making the you know like it's just a totally different thing and it's gonna like sort of throw off the balance of everything and we're just remaking generations at that point so no um and yeah. uh, and that was that and he was very upset about this and did not stop talking about it in the press all the time about how much he was right and that that's what they should have done instead of what they did but oh, well, shit, uh those the, yeah, those novels are available <laughs> if anybody wants to check them out <laughs> <laughs> they sure are <laughs> uh so they know of a starfleet outpost just a few clicks away or whatever and they get there and it is where Montgomery Scott has been exiled um, after uh, accidentally losing Admiral Archer's prized beagle to the ocean of space time. Which which I I love as a callback to uh, Star Trek Enterprise because uh, Admiral Archer is uh, Captain Archer in uh, in Star Trek Enterprise, played by Scott. Um, Scott Bacula. Bacula. Yeah. It's so. it's a great little like yeah because like at the time Andromeda or Andromeda you know Enterprise was kind of like the redheaded stepchild of the mm-hmm. franchise and just kind of like no that mattered it's it's canon don't yeah, worry yeah like, it's it's sweet <laughs> yeah there's like no don't worry Trekkies like we got you like we we respect all of it even even the stuff that's a little rougher around the edges <laughs> yeah 
And Simon, uh, yeah, Peg is just, uh, yeah. I would say he's just the energy. He brings enough energy for like four characters, and like you can you can tell mm-hmm. how excited he was to not only be in a Star Trek movie but playing such a pivotal character. And mm-hmm. I, I I love his delivery. I know this is later, but the I love this ship. It's exci- It's it's exciting. I I love his yeah. delivery, and it's oh he. I, I forgot how late he came into this movie. Mm-hmm. There's like what twenty I, minutes I left. Also, <laughs> yeah, uh, like thirty minutes. Yeah, like like thirty thirty five minutes, something like that. But yeah, I also love I love his um, the way that he he'll he'll do something. He's like that's pretty good, right? Like just <laughs> just like wanting people to acknowledge that he's good at his job. <laughs> well, he, I love that. He's been exiled for so long. He needs to prove that he matters again. <laughs> yeah. Uh. And uh shout out to Deep Roy uh playing his uh, his his buddy, his side his alien sidekick. They have great chemistry for not having any lines together. Right. I I love the gag of him running toward them down the hallway and like yeah, the, the revelation <laughs> that he's like this little alien. It's, as he gets closer, he just gets smaller. It's so good. Um, but yeah, you just terrific. see Leonard, like, like to see Leonard Nimoy's like head just slowly tilt down, like as he gets closer. It's just really yeah. funny. Yeah, you know, I will say, like, like it's, it almost goes without saying, but Nimoy is totally dialed in this whole movie. Oh yeah, yeah. He he bought it in so. in the way that Shatner wouldn't allow himself to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. I'm sure we'll, we'll get into it when we eventually do our between us. but like, you know, the ways in which those two men handled their similar, but markedly distinct legacies on that show is really, is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, Spock does a little bit of uh back to the future. wonkery Scott, where he teaches Scotty his own, formula for warp capabilities sooner to help them get out of a jam and as we go into star trek beyond this it turns out has horrifying ramifications in the kelvin timeline yep yep uh but i but i like that like i i I yeah yeah for sure i like that um they are you know, like like that that Spock is basically like, well, the cat's out of the bag. We're already in an alternate timeline, so like, fuck it, it doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> yeah, here you so go. Fuck like, it. yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I think it's great. <laughs> and uh, and the 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 you know, Bert, you know, bad robot company, their uh, adherence for better or for worse into darkness. I'm like, no, no, no. This is going to have ramifications that are going to change this universe, and we're going to follow through on them. Mm-hmm. But yep. that's next week's discussion. Indeed. Um. What do we think of the late in the game set piece of Spock or Spock Scotty being trapped in the pipes? Does it didn't work for me? Yeah, it's it's very <laughs> it is very silly. I I do want to point out that um that that was the the whole like engine room of of the Enterprise that is a Budweiser factory. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> that's that's what they they redressed a Budweiser factory. All of those vats are full of beer. Hey, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> yeah. It uh it does speak to your point earlier Scott about like showing a, a a starship, a starfleet ship as this massive 
you know, cathedral warehouse type thing where you're like, what's this room even for? Like, totally. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is where they get their water. Yeah. yeah. And uh, um, so I, I like the idea of like, I think they go into like the layouts of the ships more like Scott said. But even when uh, later, once they're on Nero's ship, he's like, yeah, this is, this would probably be where they if they follow, you know, the basic planning things, this is where this room would be. And it drops them right in the middle of the bad guys. And it's just like, okay, yeah, that's, that's about right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's that well. And, and so it's their, it's their uh, sort of reliance on that. Like, okay, we're about to go into this, like into this situation. What's the worst thing that could possibly happen? Well, the worst thing that could possibly happen is that like one of them gets like stuck in a tube or something. And so, like, that's the reason that that ends up happening. So, like, mm-hmm. that, you know, their reliance on that as as storytellers didn't work out every time. Uh, right. You know, sometimes it was like, it, was, it could be hit or, hit or miss. That's also totally the moment that Tyler brought up, too, is, like, what's the worst thing that could happen? Oh, they literally, like, he could, they get could teleported into the shit. <laughs> like, yes. surrounded by bad guys. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, uh, Kirk and Scott are brought back up to the bridge of the enterprise where Kirk is just the biggest dick on the planet to Spock unrelentingly for like two solid minutes until Spock finally snaps and chokes Kirk out in front of the entire crew deuces on his own accord and leaves Kirk with the ship. I can't imagine being like a fly on the wall in that room or just a regular crew member who I don't think we mentioned it yeah. at this point, but Pike has also been taken at this point. I, I can't remember if we right. if we'd mentioned that or not. Uh, right, no, but they they've had what like three captains in like the yeah. course of like right. a couple hours, maybe. <laughs> right, because he he the left most... the ship to Spock and then promoted Kirk to first officer, um, which which definitely. It's it is because tra- I I hear a lot of criticism of that of like he would never do that he's a cadet why would he make him first officer that doesn't make any sense yeah. but I also think he is really rooting for Kirk to be as good of a captain because I think that he, Kirk's father is one of Pike's heroes um and so he's like really rooting for this kid and feels like he owes this kid like a, a really good career in Starfleet because of his father. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's pure nepotism, but <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and in that moment's defense, you even have Spock there to be like, uh, Captain, I am unfamiliar with the, you know, with the nature of human pranks. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, OK, that did, that was a crazy move, but like, OK, like we're rolling with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a great moment. I mean, these are two great actors sparring with each other and like the heightening of that moment of like, you never loved her. And that's finally when Spock explodes, you know. And, but then he like tries to bottle it up. It's you know, it's great. Yeah, yeah. It's it's but, really good. Yeah, everyone on that deck fucking hates Kirk, though. You have to imagine. And then to have to take orders from him. Yeah, yeah. Every everyone asking. except for Sulu. Sulu seems to be into him. He's like, I like Whatever. this guy. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah, he made the captain cry. <laughs> <laughs> and then he became the captain. Yeah, we were in the ship together. This this guy's good. He's a good dude. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so, meanwhile, Spock has a heart to heart with Sarek, and we get the payoff. <laughs> like you said, Scotty, like remember that one conversation we had twenty eight years ago, or whatever. <laughs> um, I married your mother because I loved her, and 
sometimes you have to follow your instinct and you can't, you know, you are human and I love you. I love that apart. I accept you, Spock. Go out there and kill Nero, I guess, or whatever this movie's about. Um, so they go, uh, Kirk, or um, Chekhov has his moment of their plan to like use the rings of Saturn to like camouflage them, make them invisible. Um, I'm sorry, right. I just I just had a mental image. Uh, uh, you moved on from the from the Sarek scene, but I'm just having a mental <laughs> image of like later when when yeah. Spock and Spock Prime like talk, and they're just like, yeah. and Spock Prime is like, yeah, and you know, like. You're going to have to you're you're going to have to figure some stuff out with your dad. But like, you know, at the end of the day, like, it'll you know, you'll be fine or whatever. He's like, oh, I don't have anything to figure out. He's like, no, he's like, no, my dad told me that he loved me today. And Spock Prime is like, cool, 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 cool. You're how old? I'm 28. Cool. Yeah, cool. Great. Yeah, cool. Great. So, uh, yeah, losing Vulcan had a lot of ramifications. <laughs> yeah, including the loss of Spock's daddy issues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. Spock's daddy issues. Uh, so, uh, and also the birth of Kirk's uh, daddy issues. That's true. They, they, they traded daddy issues. That's fun. Wow. Yeah. So they have a plan. Kirk and Spock are going to go aboard Nero's ship themselves and like distract Nero and try to like shoot that thing, that generator bridge connecting thing device. Um, I love this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, we get that moment where they get teleported. It's like a big old laser Star Wars fight. I mean, you know, it's like they're 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 raiding the Death Star. Yeah. But it's it's Kirk and Spock. Oh, I love the little design of the phasers and how it flips from blue to red when it's switching from stun to kill. Yeah. I like the tactile nature of that. I think it's fun. And it's it's a lot better than, you know, just a little dial <laughs> on the phaser. A nerdy yeah. little dial. Yeah, it's fun. Um, I really like the moment where Kirk and Spock are in. I, I love the design of Spock's ship, too. The little spinny gyro ship. Mm -hmm. um, and Spock's able to suss out, like, I think my future. Because he's even the person to bring up the, the time travel in the first place. Yeah, Spock's ship Earlier. reminds me of uh, of the um, the Gungan ship in Phantom Menace. Yeah, yeah, with like the bulb in the back and the spinny things. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's very similar. I'm trying to figure out who the voice of that computer was, but I couldn't. In in uh, Nero's ship, or in Spock's little spinny ship. Oh, in Spock's little spinny ship. Uh, it's probably just a random person. I don't know. I know in Nero's ship it's Will Wheaton. Yeah, I was gonna say it was Will Wheaton. But nice. I don't know about I don't know about Spock's ship. That might have been maybe that was um uh what's her name? Roddenberry's wife. Oh who, yeah. Who was like the cool. voice of the computer for like, you know, every Star Trek thing. This was her last I think this was her last appearance was in this movie. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Uh a lot of fisticuffs. We get Kirk versus Nero. Um, what do we think of the moment where Spock successfully, uh, shoots off or destroys that machine and Nero yells out, Spock! I'm for yeah. it. <laughs> Great. Me too. Yeah. Uh, Kirk kills Clifton Collins Jr. Shout out to the uh, character actor Clifton Collins Jr. Man, Clifton Collins Jr. Ugh, he's so he's good. He's great. 
I love yeah, it. Go watch Jockey, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Great lead performance. I agree. Mm-hmm. Finally saw it, Scott. I don't know if I told you. Anyway, another time. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so uh, they uh, blow. They use the red matter to blow up uh, the ship, um, and a bunch of stuff happens. Uh, we get we get a really solid giving her all she's got. Hell yeah. Um, and so there's a moment where, you know, Nero's goose is cooked. Right, the the ship is receding into a black hole, but like it's done, and Kirk's like, "Hey, we can take you prisoner if you want." And Spock's like, "What are you doing?" And he's like. What do you mean? What am I doing? It's like the first thing <laughs> first by the rule of Starfleet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spock's like, no, oh, well, and you know, <laughs> very definitively Nero is like, fuck you. I'd rather die than, you know, and they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, but it, it is a weird final thing for your action movie of just like brutally <laughs> executing your villain when they are like completely in defense, you know, defenseless. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I do, I do like that he's just like, uh, <laughs> he's just like, you got it. <laughs> Fire everything we got. And then we get the, the really cool visual of the claw of the ship through the, the black hole or whatever it was. I, yeah. I, I always enjoyed whenever they did that visual in that movie. It just mm-hmm. looked really freaking cool. It's really A lot cool. of the visuals actually then- in this don't make this feel like a 2009 movie like it looks better than some movies that have come out recently very true very true. that's actually a very good point they all of the space effects all of the ship effects have like aged yep. beautifully yeah um shout out to the digital artists there and like yeah that final where like you think when the enterprise has to like get out of that plume and sulu gets his little moment i like how the ship itself gets the final victory tag yeah mm-hmm. Uh, Tyler Perry promotes Chris Pine to the rank of captain. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, Tyler Perry uh, accidentally called cut on the set. This was the first time he'd ever acted <laughs> in a movie that he didn't direct. And he great. flubbed a line and then shouted cut and then was like, oh, I'm sorry. This is not my movie. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, um, You know, I, I won't lie and say it was ever even in 09. I'm like, that's Tyler Perry. But like, he's pretty solid in this. Yeah, he's a big Star Trek fan and just wanted to have something in this because he he loves Star Trek. So, yeah, he just yeah. He brings a natural authority to this this character. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've always been a fan of Bruce Greenwood's uh, reading of I'm Relieved. Mm-hmm. Really good. Um, I don't love him in the wheelchair as like a wink and a nod to like his <laughs> It's like, uh, uh, all right, because he ends up in a wheelchair. And it's like, oh, boy, guys, come on. Uh, yeah, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, Sarek and or, you know, Spock Prime and uh, Kelvin Spock scene together. Tyler, did that work for you? I think it did. Um, uh, other than, now I now I just can't stop laughing at the cool. <laughs> About the daddy issues, but uh, no, I I think it was a a good way to have those characters have a face to face, and it it I, I've seen scenes like that go very wrong, and I think that this did just enough and gave it just enough emotional oomph before we get the uh, the classic outro. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's on a plot level, it works too because like. 
it you know, we, we we in that scene we learned that uh, Quinto Spock is like seriously and very justifiably thinking about leaving Starfleet to help the few Vulcans that are left. And Spock Prime is like, no, 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 I'm here now. Like, like Scott said, like the cat's out of the bag. Like, I'm not gonna like go hide in a cave forever. Like, I'm gonna help my people. But it's it's important that you have this experience because these people are going to change your life and make you a better Vulcan. Mm-hmm. And it's just like it's so it's it it makes this more than just fan service stuff because it actually helps put the characters where they need to be by the end of the movie. I I also find that this conversation and then leading into like sort of the ramp up of like Kirk coming through coming onto the bridge in his gold uniform and mm-hmm. you know do do you know everybody sort of being where they're supposed to be and then like we zoom off into the into the stars and um for a trek if you will and uh it it really feels like if they had not made a sequel to this movie like this could have just been the end of the Star Trek franchise like mm-hmm. it feels like a button of like full circle like yeah where where they're like yeah now we are back after all of that time travel shenanigans like everything got back to the way that it should be and now you know, go watch the original series and et cetera, et cetera. Or like if, it's kind of, I don't know. Or if we have another one, they're off doing the things and we can pick up with it or we can just leave it. Yeah, yeah. 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 I just remember when, you know, cut to J.J. Abrams and we get Giacchino's version, orchestral version of the theme, just yeah. being at a, on a high oh, as, yeah. as, a, as a moviegoer. And it, it, it really like, like, oh my God, like the movie itself, but then also like, where could this go? You know? Yeah. Yeah, um, well, this was a really exciting time to be like a a uh, relaxed Star Trek fan, like 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 a casual Star Trek fan. This was like a really exciting time is getting to the end of this movie and being like, wow, I love Star Trek, you know? <laughs> well, and, you know, off the 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 end credit score, right, right before that, you get Nimoy doing the space, the final frontier. So it's you know, for fans and casual fans alike, you kind of get the 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 meld of everything. Like the, this was the culmination of what this movie was trying to achieve. And as you said, the credits hit, and it feels like everyone can leave the theater happy. Casual fans, diehard fans, like the the there was enough in there for everyone to ultimately enjoy, even if you one side or the other didn't agree with the choices that were made. Yeah. This was the second time that Leonard Nimoy had read that, that opening, the, the sort of like Star Trek intro. The, the last time was um, at the end of wrath of Khan hmm. uh, post mm-hmm. his death. Um, and speaking of uh, uh, deepest of all ironies, um, this movie was written with a post credit scene uh, in which we find we after after we're zooming through space and everything, and then um, we result on a a ship that is in the cold recesses of sh- of of space, and uh, it's just floating there. And then the the camera pans across the name of the ship, and it's the Botany Bay. Um, and uh, uh, ultimately, they cut it because Damon Lindelof was like. Well, we don't want to tie our, our we don't want to tie our hands behind our back. Like you know, we might not do that for the next one. <laughs> oh boy, 
<laughs> and the long list uh, that that's when the denial started. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh, uh, that's going to be a crazy episode. Yep. <clears throat> but yep, yep, yep. I think this is up there with Creed and Force Awakens as like the best reboot legacy whatever those things are called you know yeah yeah absolutely um i just i love this this movie's a banger it's uh again it's it's nice to to sit back because like i i think i'd maybe watched it once or twice since the theater and we're what like 13 14 years removed from that now and Mm -hmm. you know you have that memory of liking something you have that that you kind of hold on to in your you sit down to watch a movie like this and you're like, oh gosh, I hope that it just doesn't come crashing down. Like, I hope that this just hasn't aged terribly. And it, it was, I, I almost felt like I was back in that theater again. You know, I wish I had like my big bucket of popcorn. I'd been sitting there just like shoveling it in my mouth, watching like the, <laughs> again, it, it does have a couple issues, uh, things that have not aged well, but, overall like the movie ended i was like that was great like i like that 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 movie still rocks mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like yeah just like the you know the theatrical experience i remember just i remember just hearing leonard nimoy's voice surrounding me in the theater and that oh yeah like, whoa absolutely absolutely um well that's uh that's star trek 09 uh tyler thanks for joining us uh, thanks for having me yeah, of course. Uh, where can people find some of your writing if they want to hear you talk about film and, and criticize it? Uh, there's <laughs> there's uh, <laughs> afterthecreditsblog.com, and uh, I'm also actually in the process of starting a uh, YouTube channel as well. So that that's something okay. that's coming up here uh, in the near future. Nice. Well, we'll have to have oh. you back when uh, when you get that launched so you can promote that as well. For sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, real quick, I think uh, I kept waiting to bring this up in like another moment. But I think uh, I think we complimented every single member of the cast member directly except Zoe Saldana, and like I don't, I think she just I don't know that scene in the elevator with her and Spock. I don't know. We, yeah. like, like I just saw Avatar, so I know I know she's good, but like man, she's so good when they let her be like live action. I I like her a lot in this movie. I think she's much better in the sequels. I think she's. Yeah, I think she's really good in Into Darkness. One of the few compliments, <laughs> like major compliments, I'll have for that movie that we'll talk about next week. I think she's really good in Into Darkness, and I think that she does some really great stuff in Beyond. Um, I think this is actually probably her weakest movie. I think, but like that's not her fault. They don't give her a ton to do. She's kind of just Spock support, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's what you call Spock's girlfriends. Right. <laughs> well, I, ironically, right. to off Scott's point, I think the best that she is in the movie, other than the Spock scene, is the scene in the bar where Pine's hitting on her, and she's mm-hmm. just like not having any of it, and she's just given mm-hmm. and she's given it back as good as he's given it. Like I think those yeah. are her two best scenes, and I think she only maybe has a couple outside of that. Unfortunately, yeah, for sure. So. Just wanted to shout that out real quick. Uh, Tyler, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Uh, Star Trek, thanks thanks for existing. <laughs> Indeed. And we'll be back uh, next week to talk about Star Trek Into Darkness. Bye, everybody. Bye.